Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. We step back into the ring, back into time, with the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller, hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains. All right, stud, it seems like a little while since we talked. How's everything going? Oh, man, it's been great. Uh, really good. Uh, had a most unusual evening about a week ago. Uh, that was really nice. A big <laughs> change of pace, uh, something different. Uh, we got beautiful weather here, Dave. Uh, we got some leaves turning. Uh, it's about to get gorgeous here, man. That's awesome. That's perfect. And I know you're doing what I'm doing. We're just trying to keep the woman and the water and the lights and the phone turned on. And so far, I'm not even certain if that's working. But in the meantime, listen, congratulations, because dinner with the stud, that was a big deal. It looks like you had a tremendous crowd. Oh, yeah, man. It was it was really, really a, a good crowd. And, uh, more, more than I had expected. Uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen at those events. It's something that, uh, never been done, to my knowledge, by anyone. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, so uh, I didn't know really what to expect. And a lot of people turned out. And, well, I think they all had a great time, man. It was amazing. Uh, we uh, probably stayed 30 minutes after it was all over and fans were still there, man. It was just a, it was really a fun time. Hey, that's awesome, man. That's a cool thing that I, I know you wanted, been wanting to do something for the fans for a long time. And I, I'm really glad you all, everybody had a great time. All right, stud. So today you're going to give us all that tremendous card, every bit of that card of Friday night, October 7th, 1977, which was a really big night, two world title matches, four championship matches in all, and an NWA non-sanctioned lights out loser leaves Southeastern match on the end of the night. And before we get into that historic event, I, I want to ask you about several different things. Let's start with the Southeastern Rewind, your new YouTube channel, and the special things that you've got coming on there this week. Well, man, it, there's so many things on there now, Dave. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, the new, the new USA TV show that uh, airs, I put one out every Sunday. We're up to number 10. And this one is a great one, man. It has a World Junior Heavyweight Championship match from 1988 on television with Nelson Royal against the second Armstrong boy that starts in wrestling, uh, Scott Armstrong, old super kick, we used to call him, 
because he really, really uh, mastered the super kick and uh, one of the first wrestlers to any use anything like that. So, uh, you know, we've got that on this uh, USA show number 10. And these original USA shows, man, they're, they're released in the order they were produced. And uh, they've become extremely popular, man, around the world. Uh, a lot of people are watching them. So that's up there now. And there's another popular video from 1976 called The Southeastern Sweet Spot. And uh, that's one from uh, way back uh, during the Funk days when I'm having these matches with both Terry Funk on these on this one mm-hmm. and Dory Funk Jr., both of them. And then it shows a little piece of the of the world championship match at the end of it with Terry Funk and I where Ronnie Garvin comes and gets involved, jumps off the top rope in my throat. Mm-hmm. It's basically a classic Southeastern action is what this one is. They're called Southeastern Sweet Spots. Yep. They're on there. There's a lot happening on that YouTube channel. Oh, no doubt. And that's uh, still a, a few scars remain from from some of that action, even as of today. Hey, listen, uh, we, we just talked about this with that historic event, event that took place last week in Knoxville, the first ever live stud cast and the first dinner with a stud. Uh, again, the fans are still raving. It was absolutely fabulous. The fact that you were able to show it live on your YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, made uh, made good on your promise to fans to do something special and and boom you really did it and the crowd the folks that attended again as we said obviously had a, had a great time too how do you feel about the success of of such a, an unusual wrestling related event <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good way of describing it david it really <laughs> is unusual uh, to my knowledge uh, and i don't think anything like that's ever been done in the history of the sport hmm. You know, and mm. to do something in wrestling that's never been done is pretty hard to do. Most people say everything's been done in wrestling. But, uh, you know, I don't know that anybody's ever had one of these dinners like this. And, uh, wow, it was really good. It was a fun time. Uh, and I obviously was uh, pleased with the fan turnout. Uh, had uh, about 70 people there. And uh, my host, uh, Les Thatcher, and my special guest, Tom Pritchard, were great. Man, they they really did a good job, and I was very excited to be able to bring a studcast uh, portion of the the show live to fans around the world on the YouTube channel. I don't know that that's been done very often either. So uh, I'm also very happy to announce that the second half of that great two-hour-plus event, the question and answer session, uh, I think is maybe as good or better than the actual studcast. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be on. Uh, it's on there now. Should be able to go and find that now. Everybody ought to be able to see it now. Yeah, and it starts out with raffling off some door prizes, and uh, two or three of those door prizes, Dave, were wow, <laughs> they were truly amazing. They came from uh, Cherokee Distributing, it was the Miller Company, Miller Beer Company in Knoxville, and they were fantastic prizes. And uh, so that's the way it starts. So if you if you're looking at that and you're wondering, well, where is the question and answer? There's a few minutes there with that raffle, and then we get into the question and answer part of this. And uh, wow, it was it was really good. I, I was very pleased with it. Uh, fans had a great time, and some of their questions were absolutely tremendous. Yeah, and to me, the the question answer part kind of made it like a wrestling talk show. And I thought I thought that was really cool as a part of the studcast after the live studcast. Now I know the second dinner with the stud 
is on its way to, and we're going to be talking about that later in the show. And I'm sure fans are like me, and they're ready to jump back into that great card for October 7th, 1977. It's you versus Harley Race for the World Heavyweight Championship, plus Tony Charles taking on Nelson Royal for the World Junior Heavyweight Championship. I'm sure this is going to be another great Studcast ride into wrestling history. So where is this Studcast taking us today, Ron? Well, I'm going to start out, Dave, by kind of making an apology. I think a couple of episodes ago, I said that uh, we were going to talk about in the live Studcast this subject, this big world championship event in uh, 1977. Mm -hmm. And I ended up kind of changing my mind because there were so many fans from East Tennessee that were involved in this one. Kind of wanted to cover the history of wrestling in East Tennessee. Uh, so uh, I'm really glad to be back to this subject. This is really a huge, huge night. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing some writing in man into some very interesting uh, stuff today. Uh, hmm. Starting out with the today's training, we're going to talk about the unique atmosphere in buildings on the nights when you've got these big events that you've built up to for months at a time. Uh, it's just a different atmosphere in the building, in the in the lobby where people buy the tickets. It's it's a it's it's a totally different thing than a regular event. Uh, that's a big part of the day's training. Uh, we're going to hear the entire card of October 7th, 1977 again. I think we announced it on a number 219. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to discuss the TV show that promoted it. Uh, we'll talk about the results of this championship show. We'll talk about the attendance, and we're even going to talk about the gross gate in this one. Uh, a little bit. We're going to go into a little more detail on the end of this one. Our learning tree question for this one asks, uh, Usually, lots of things change after these big events. Uh, we can take a look ahead or get an idea of what and who new is coming. Uh, so can we do that? I think the gentleman asked, can mm -hmm. we take a look ahead? And uh, that's what we're going to do. So uh, so that question, Dave, uh, you know, is uh, is really, that's kind of the questions that I love as, as part of the as this learning tree. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, this guy's obviously a knowledgeable fan and he's looking forward. He wants to know what's coming, man, taking a little peek into the future, man. So, uh, so we're going to try to get all that in today. We've got a lot to cover here. We're going to do the best we can to get there. Yeah, hey, no doubt we can all relate to that because we can all. We, we, none of us can wait to get there, Stud. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so take us into the Knoxville Coliseum Friday night, October 7th of 77 on this today's training. And let's get an idea of the atmosphere in that building. It had to be incredible. Well, so it's my pleasure to do that, my man. We're, we're going to have a fun ride today. So I always enjoyed, you know, kind of arriving early, at, especially the big events. And the Coliseum in Knoxville kind of sits on a hill, big hill, and it overlooks downtown Knoxville, basically. And it has two main entrances to it for fans. And uh, they go into this big lobby, and that's where everybody goes to purchase their tickets. And that entire side of the Knoxville Coliseum was where everybody not only bought their tickets, but that's where they entered the actual building itself. And I like to drive on these big events like this around the building once before I went in downstairs to park my car because uh, we had a private entrance for wrestlers. So, you know, on these big nights, I, I wanted to see the incoming crowd in the lobby and, uh, and uh, where the fans 
were congregating and how many people were coming from the parking garages into the building. Uh, so uh, one entrance uh, was on from uh, the one side of the building that faced the one that's faced downtown, that entrance. Most fans, uh, you know, uh, used the back entrance because it was on this big, huge uh, outside patio and it had parking garages were back in that area and people had to come across the big patio. Hmm. But uh, on this night, man, they were, they were pretty, there's a lot of people there uh, when I got there hmm. and I arrived about seven o'clock. So I'm about an hour and a half before match time. And I could see from the street outside as I passed around this front entrance uh, that the main lobby was already pretty full, you know, at seven o'clock, hour and a half ahead of time. And I don't think they started selling tickets till 6.30. That, you know, is a pretty good sign that uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the building. And the back patio, once I passed on around the building, turned the corner, I could see the back patio. And there were lines of people coming out of the parking garages and headed for the main lobby where they had to buy their tickets. And uh, then I went on around the block and basically I entered the Coliseum from an underground private entrance that wrestlers only used. Uh, they had guards there and they would let you in. They, they recognized you. And if they didn't, they sent you somewhere else to park. And uh, so we were down underneath the building and parked. And uh, so obviously once I got in the dressing room, you know, I couldn't go back up into the lobby. I was pretty recognizable, obviously at that point, everybody know who I was. And, uh, you know, and, <laughs> That's probably not the place to be spotted before your match. But uh, this little <laughs> drive around the, the building for me was kind of the beginning of a, of a for me, a real emotional buildup for what was to come that night. And, you know, and I don't know if other wrestlers ever made these trips like I did, entering, of you know, after going around the building and taking a look at the lobby and all that stuff. But uh, not many of them had, were at the state, same thing at stake that I did, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> They were just going to wrestle. I was, I was thinking about much more than just a match. I was thinking about uh, the fans and uh, how well we were all going to do that night. Yeah, I'm wondering too. As you were kind of circling the building and checking it out, did did there ever come a time in situations like this, this where they recognized you and go, "Oh, there, there's a Tennessee stud," because you, you probably didn't have tinted windows back then. I don't know. Did that ever happen? Oh well, you know, I mean. Uh, uh, I had a Cadillac, uh, but if I'd have been Bob Armstrong who won that pink Cadillac that everybody recognized. That might have stood uh, out, yeah. Yeah, yeah they okay. would have all known it was yeah. me, okay. you know, but they weren't aware of what my car looked like. Thank okay, God. okay. So, uh, you know, I didn't uh, uh, No, I didn't have uh, hardly anybody recognize me. It was a nice little leisurely drive around there. I drove slow, uh, and uh, it was it, – it got me ready. Got yeah. me fired up, man, and uh, you know. So. Yeah, and those and too, those folks are probably kind of concentrating on getting in the building, and getting to their seats, and they're not really thinking that the the stud might be parking anytime now. So, anyway, yeah. all right, but yeah. it, that's a that's a great way to start the the whole stud cast right there. So you're you're setting the stage for what's going to be a really big night for fans and wrestlers alike, and then you're building it further with the upcoming TV show that promotes this whole event. Then the results of the matches, and plus the the learning tree, and we're going to be finding out about this where Southeastern was headed from this night forward. So a look into the future is ahead too. So tell us about what you think 
was going on in that ticket lobby in the next 90 minutes before the bell. Well, geez, man, uh, you know, uh, the, my first look up there was getting pretty crowded in there. And these big events, man, they kind of created their own excitement, it seemed like to me. Fans had been anticipating this for weeks and weeks. They knew at least six weeks ago, maybe two months, that the world champion was coming to town. They didn't know they were going to get the second world championship match. They certainly didn't know about the other things that was on this card uh, six or eight weeks ago. But as you built toward this night, fans got more excited because you kept adding these great matches. So, uh, so uh, you know, this was a long time, uh, you know, at this time back in those days, they there was no ticket master. There was very there was no advanced sale outlets uh, <laughs> where you could go and buy tickets to concerts. And, right. You know, this was long before those type of things. So, yeah. uh, you know, and you you could buy tickets in advance. I had, had set it up pretty well. You could buy buy wrestling tickets in advance, uh, six days a week there. Because we were so successful, because we were drawing these huge crowds, we could not afford to have everybody have to buy a ticket that night. So we got to where about 15% of the fans would take advantage of that early ticket selling day, go out, buy them uh, on a Tuesday or a Thursday, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and get that ticket uh, and not have to spend time in the lobby to, to wait and get sold one. So it kind of meant that. Thousands of fans still, you know, 15% is a small part of 6,000 or so. Yeah. So a whole lot, thousands of fans are going to walk up. They're going to stand in the long lines to buy their tickets, and they're going to finally get in. And that part of the wrestling experience in itself was kind of exciting for fans, <laughs> you know, uh, especially when the fans knew they were late when they got there. Yeah. They're standing yeah. in huge, a huge mob of people knowing that the building inside probably already packed. And they, they might be at any minute putting up that sign that says, sorry, sold out. Uh oh, yeah. You know, and they're yeah. not going to get in. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big experience kind of from beginning to end. But there was a new element in this particular night that had Southeastern that, that I'd never experienced before. And, uh, you know, and I had mentioned it, you know, and I hadn't mentioned it in a while, but this was about that uh, Southeastern, you know, uh, uh, program that Roy Lee Welch was going to develop. And this was going to be the first event, first world title event that the program had been sold. It had been sold and created and been sold for about a month or so before this event. But this was the first night for a world championship program to be sold. And, uh, it, this program was sold not just in Knoxville, but it was sold at every event in the territory. So, and it had debuted, like I said, a couple of months earlier, but, and it had become one of the most popular items in Southeastern. Man, I mean, it was inexpensive. It was full of great pictures of the stars. It had stories, backs, back stories. Uh, it had information about all the, always about the current night. The card was listed for you there. It had totally captivated fans. And uh, just having this an available, this program and available at an event was exciting for the fans, you know. It was the first thing they purchased after they got through the door. A lot of them, before they bought their ticket, went and bought their program, you know. And fans were going to take as much as an hour to read through it. They're going to take their time when they start reading the program. Every sentence of it was focused on the matches that were that tonight's matches. And that that perfectly set the stage for what was about to come, man. Building, 
even more exciting, man. Every time they turned the page, uh, these programs had something new. They had new photos, uh, new stories. And, uh, and the, the great thing about it was at the end of the night, they took them home, man. They kept them as mementos. Uh, yeah. and they were lucky. A lot of fans would, would uh, get you off to the side and have the opportunity to have you sign their program. Yeah. Heck uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a great addition to what Southeastern was doing, and uh, I really realized it uh, after this particular first world championship match in which we sold. So basically, the entire experience from arriving at the building to getting your program to standing in the long lines to buy your tickets, from reading about what was to come, to, uh, and then finally the magical moment of every wrestling event, the opening bell. And uh, it was always, you know, special. But on nights like this, with a card like this one, the reaction at the sound of the bell was explosive. And I mean, you know, it like they some, some people just sat there and waited on it. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, well, we're going to react, but we got to wait on the bell yeah, to, right. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you have five or 6,000 people in an arena, you know, uh, they, when that explosion comes, that bell rings and that explosion comes, I used to get those goosebumps, man, you know, and <laughs> that crowd would roar like crazy, man. And, uh, and I bet it got, yeah, I bet I wasn't the only person that got goosebumps. I, I think some of those fans out there probably got it too, man. It was a beautiful part of the great sport that I was lucky enough to be born into, man. And you know what? The, the exact same thing that you described that was happening in Knoxville was happening in my hometown and the the exact same scenario situation so what you were describing fans all over were experiencing that when the bell rang and so that's it that's pretty cool dude you're off to a great start today so that dinner with us started last week has got you kind of fired up. Did, I mean, did, did you eat too much or too little? Well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, the food was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Wow, everybody couldn't believe the food, man. It, that's what their their that's what their uh, their their object and their best their best product there at Calhoun's on the river. Yeah, is that uh, that roast beef? Wow, and it was really good, man. Oh, it, shut it up. Good barbecue. Uh, Tremendous meal, tremendous night. Uh, wow. Everybody enjoyed themselves. All right, that's awesome. And, and again, as we said earlier, we alluded to, we're going to be talking about that later in the show because another one of those, Dinner with the Studs, is coming. All right, so tell us about that great card, Friday night, October 7th, 1977, in the sold-out Knoxville Coliseum. All right, first match, man, we had a guy coming back that hadn't been there since 1975. Uh, he and his partner were tag team champions for quite a while there. Uh, Butch Malone, who was partners with uh, Norvell Austin, Butch Malone, came back, and he's on the first match, and he opens up against the pro, Doug Gilbert. And uh, the pro, uh, the, and then the second match, uh, my brother, Robert Fuller, uh, faces off uh, with another wrestler that we hadn't seen in a while in Southeastern, Jim Dalton. Uh, the first championship match of the night was next, the Southeastern Tag Championship, uh, challengers Joe LaDuke, and he had a new partner, Roy Lee Welch. Uh, they were wrestling the champions, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Orton Jr., along with their manager, Al Costello. And, uh, wow, the, Joe LaDuke and uh, Roy Lee Welch had formed a tremendous friendship, and uh, 
this is going to be an amazing little tag team here for fans in the future. Uh, there was an event also on this card that wasn't scheduled until after the TV show that uh, we're going to be talking about next. And I was the Southeastern champion, obviously, the week before I'd won the tournament, I'd won the belt. And uh, I went on TV uh, on the Saturday before this actual show. I was the champion, and I was going to defend my belt that night in Harlan, Kentucky. And uh, so in Harlan, Kentucky that night, the Stomper won the belt from me. And then three days later in Johnson City, Tennessee, he defended the belt. Uh, because, uh, you know, he won it, and uh, and uh, Gigi was so confident uh, because they were wrestling against, he had a match against Ricky Gibson, mm -hmm. that nothing bad could happen in this match. And he says, you know, uh, my, my champion will defend anybody. And uh, so he, he decided to make it a championship match in Johnson City. And by golly, Ricky Gibson, uh, <laughs> Ricky Gibson uh, got so close to beating to Beating the champion, it was a big controversial match, and the Southeastern officials held up the belt. Oh, so you know, three days before the card, I got uh, and you know, a no Southeastern champion, but I got these two guys that were wrestling each other on the card originally. So I just called the newspaper and I said, "We're going to put another match on there." So I changed that match to a championship match. I made it a no DQ, and I said there had to be a winner for it. So. We started out with just a match here. It was going to be Ricky Gibson against the Mongolian Stomper. Turns out to be a Southeastern Championship match with a whole lot at stake. Fourth match on that card was uh, for the held up, as I said, the held up uh, Southeastern Championship, Mongolian Stomper, Ricky Gibson, no DQ, and there had to be a winner. Then came the first world title match. Nelson Royal was defending his World Junior Heavyweight Championship against the great Tony Charles. Uh, and then the NWA world champion, Harley Race, heavyweight champion, was defending his title and his 10 pounds of gold against me. And then the last match was scheduled in that spot because it had to be. It was a return NWA non-sanctioned lights out match between Bob Armstrong and Don Carson, which meant it had to be <laughs> on last. And this time there was an even bigger stipulation added to that match. Last time it was just the lights out match this time the loser is going to leave southeastern man that's an awesome card that's a fantastic card all right so saturday october 1st of 77 i'm sure that was a pretty special tv show and the one that was ready to promote one of the best cards ever for southeastern oh man it certainly was man you can imagine you uh, there's two world champions on it yeah one of them's on their live one of them sends a video there's a new tag team on it that's going after the Southeastern belts. Uh, that's our first match ever together. Uh, it's got me and Harley Race on the profile, on the personality profile. It's got Tony Charles on the show, uh, Nelson Royals on the show. Uh, wow, it's a loaded show. The Stomper, Ricky Gibson. Wow, it's a loaded television show for sure. So, and it opens up with less running down the great card, which is the way all shows were opening back in those days. And then that big still shot behind him uh, was a shot of me. I had my hand in the air. I was standing over Terry Funk. He was laying there and he was holding his right leg and he, and he had a pretty painful look on his face <laughs> for those that could see his face. And uh, <laughs> obviously with Terry Funk laying down and, uh, and crying, the TV crowd exploded as soon as the photo hit. As soon as they saw it. Wow. Like, ah. Oh, they loved it, man. So 
And then I came to the set, and uh, the fans welcomed me, and Les did too. I brought my newly won Southeastern belt and set it down in front of me, and uh, Les congratulated me, and uh, almost instantly uh, uh, a totally different video appeared behind us. And uh, director Bill Kincaid, uh, he did his magic once again, man. Uh, Two-minute video, it captured everything meaningful from three of my matches the night before uh, and the wins in each one of those matches. It showed me beating the Mongolian Stomper in the first round of the tournament. Then it went right to me beating the Assassin in the second round. And then it showed a piece of the Terry Funk win in which I put the fuller leg lock on him. That earned me the shot at Harley. And it also earned me the Southeastern Championship. Hmm. So Les invited me back for the personality profile. And uh, fans were going to be able to hear from the world champion Harley Race as well. So obviously we're teasing and setting up for a very big show. Yeah. So uh, the, before I got away from the set, Tony Charles popped in the studio and he came by the desk being Tony, you know, and nobody tells Tony to do these things. It's just Tony's personality. He comes by the set. I'm sitting there with the belt and he congratulates me for winning, you know, and getting the shot at Harley. And, uh, you know, and I, of course I returned the favor. I mean, you know, he said, I wish you luck, Ron. I hope you beat him next Friday. And I said, well, same to you, Tony. I hope you beat Nelson Royal next Friday for the world junior time. <laughs> so then Tony went on to the ring and, uh, that made the fans even happier, man. They're going to get to see him wrestle too. So, uh, he goes to the ring for the first match and, uh, Tony's popularity at this point, he's on fire. I mean, fans just really, really love Tony Charles. And uh, everybody wanted to touch him wherever he went, man. Uh, you can see these crowds in the gymnasiums all across the, that part of the country. They would just flock and just cover him up on the way to the ring. So he was a truly a Southeastern sensation. So World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Nelson Roy, he's on. He's there that day. And he joins Les at the set. He's got him on a real nice suit as he always did. I mean, he always looked like a champion, and he dressed like one. And uh, he was about as unpopular as Tony was popular. <laughs> I mean, fans <laughs> didn't like Nelson. He was very, very arrogant, hmm. cocky, man, had an attitude. Yeah. So Tony got in his match. He did his regular thing in the match, even though he was wrestling a guy that probably weighed 50 pounds more than he did. Didn't make Tony any difference. He threw that big guy around like he was a baby. He gave him all these tosses. I mean, he he just said, wow, <laughs> it was crazy. And there wouldn't be these big tosses that he was doing. Les kept, uh, you know, complimenting Tony, as he should. And, you know, and Nelson Royal sitting there with him, listening to Les compliment the guy he's going to wrestle <laughs> the next Friday night for the title. And uh, Royal gets upset. <laughs> he makes it pretty obvious. Hey, what do you – what do you think this guy's that good? You, you never talked to me like that, you know, because <laughs> they were old buddies, right? So, mm -hmm. so then, uh, so, uh, uh, so at the end of the match, and you know, Tony was a, uh, you know, about to finish the match uh, and finish his opponent off, and he had his back turned. Royal was so upset, uh, he just charged the ring. I, I think he just lost control of himself, and uh, and uh, so you know, as he stepped through the ropes, man, and he had his suit on, you know. And, Charles had just got the pin, was getting his hand raised, and obviously Tony got a got an eye on him coming to the ring. So uh, as soon as Royal stepped through the ropes, he rushed at Tony, and Tony did a perfect little 
dropped toehold on him, man. And uh, it sent Royal face first into the mat. Then Tony uh, dropped both knees in Royal's back. He hooked Royal's feet into his armpits, and he grabbed Royal's hands, and he turned him over upside down, put him in one of the most painful holes in all of wrestling, called the torture rack, you know? And it, it was a definite finish hole, man. Uh, and he beautifully applied it in a matter of seconds. I mean, he just whipped him into it. And there's Nelson Royal. He's he's screaming like a baby. Now he's got his suit on, and he's being held helplessly above Tony Charles's body. <laughs> Tony's got his knees in his back. He's holding his hands. He's got his feet bent underneath him. It's a it's a and he held him there. Uh, wow. You know, and his body was in kind of the shape of a bow. I'm talking <laughs> about a bow that you shoot arrows with, uh-huh. right? Yeah. He's all bowed up on top of Charles, and the studio exploded. They didn't expect this. Nobody expected this. And, uh, you know, Roy was getting a whole lot more than just his suit wrinkled, man. His body and his ego was getting wrinkled. <laughs> and he was screaming in pain. You could hear him over, over on Les's microphone. So uh, it was pretty cool, man. I don't, I, I know you, I think you did a reasonable job describing it, but I don't know that I've ever seen a hold like that. It sounds like a very embarrassing moment for a world champion. All right, so what happens next, Ron? <laughs> well, you know, Tony finally, he dropped him on his side and he just crawled out of the ring and uh, he went to the dressing room. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the fans are laughing like crazy. And Roy took a few seconds to compose himself. And then he kind of struggled to get on his feet. That's a very bad day. Oh, horrible move, man. You get into that, there's no way out of it. It's so horrible. So uh, everyone in the studio just kept laughing at him. (laughs) Boy, and and of course, you know, that's that's a very very embarrassing thing for him, Dave, obviously. And, uh, and uh, that little thing that happened is going to add a lot of fuel to that Friday night match for the world championship. That little segment there where uh, Tony decides to let, let me put you in this big <laughs> this painful hold and make a fool out of you before I rush you for the title. <laughs> so Royal went back to the set, straight to the set with Les. And Charles went on into Studio B to do the first interview. And uh, I'd never seen Nelson Royal that man. He was he was just fuming. And as soon as Tony Charles appeared in the other studio, Nelson didn't wait to see who was going to talk first. He just went crazy. And right off the bat, he says, he says, you ever do anything like that to me? I'm going to kill you, Tony Charles. (laughs) And then he said, you know, and then he kind of thought about it, I think. And he said, well, you know, if I don't kill you in the ring, he goes, I may run over you with my car if I see you today. (laughs) He was yeah. really mad, and he went on for most of the two-minute interview. He just had a this big, long tirade of threat after threat after threat, man. And uh, so about halfway through, Tony started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and that made Nelson worse. He just got madder. And then when Tony started laughing, the fans in the studio started laughing. So Nelson finally got so upset, he just grabbed his world title belt that was on the desk and he headed for the dressing room. So, uh, you know, and Tony didn't have much time left. You know, Nelson had taken the whole thing. So, you know, he was very calm and he was still giggling and the crowd was still laughing. And he said, as they closed, he said, you know, 
He said, I hope he don't wear that suit in the ring next Friday. <laughs> and that popped the crowd. <laughs> so Tony had a good sense of humor. So, yeah. so before we move on, Dave, uh, and while we're on this subject, I found the picture, man, of this hold. Mm-hmm. And it's so unusual a hold that uh, it actually came, the picture came from the same hold uh, that Tony Charles is going to put on Nelson Royal in this championship match. Oh, okay. So, uh, so uh, I put a, a photo on my website. You know, I do it for every studcast. They get their own sub- photo that has something to do with the studcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this photo is so unusual. This wrestling move is so unusual. Fans, you got to take a look at this. I mean, you can see it on my website if you want to at tnstud.com, or you can go to any place you pick up your studcast, whatever platform you pick up your studcast from. <laughs> uh, we're going to try to get this photo on there as well. So uh, when you go to get your podcast, you know, your studcast, uh, you, you definitely know, need to take a look at this uh, torture rack, man, <laughs> because it was t- quite, a, quite a start, man, to a show. <laughs> so that's the, that's the photo that goes with today's studcast. That's the photo oh, cool. that will go with today's studcast. If you go on TJ and Stud yeah. and you click on either the studcast or the gallery, yeah. you'll find that photo underneath the uh, studcast number 221. And uh, wow, uh, I bet make fans cringe just looking at it. <laughs> like, wow, how can anybody do that to you? <laughs> For real. Okay. All right. I uh, can't wait to check it out. All right. That's an awesome way to start a TV show. So, what comes next, Ron? Well, there's a new tag team combination. Like I mentioned, man, it's soon going to become a sensation, man, in Southeastern. And uh, these two wrestlers had become very close friends. Uh, After Joe got injured and in the hospital, after the blockbusting incident, Roy visited him constantly. They became great friends. And uh, Joe, once he got out and he got well enough and he started wrestling again, then uh, he wanted Roy Lee. He'd had a bunch of partners. He'd had Bob Armstrong. He had Ron Wright. He'd had Tony Charles. He had a lot of different wrestlers. But he wanted to have Roy Lee Welch as his partner. And uh, these guys are going to they're going to have instant success, man. It's, it's pretty amazing. And we've talked about Roy Lee and how his first matches, he had people standing up, and, you know, and people just cheering him like crazy. And now he's got himself a tremendous partner. And uh uh, they're going to make some history in Southeast. So uh, so they went on to the set after they had their match. They won pretty easily. The Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and the manager, Al Costello, they're over there in Studio B. And Roy Lee uh, was their focal point, obviously, especially since the Duke had had so many partners in the past and had no success. You know, they were making fun of Roy Lee. How in the heck are you going to take a first match guy and make a champion out of him, Joe Duke? Wow. You know, are you going to carry this guy? What, what's the story, man? So, you know, it was an odd combination, but it was going to prove to be a very good one. All right. That's pretty cool. And this is a great place for a break. So let's do that. We'll take a break and come back with the personality profile. And on the way there, let's remind you to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind as well. All right. So Ron and Harley Race 
will both be on the personality profile, and it's coming up when this Studcast continues in a moment right here. Okay, Studcast fans, the first one was absolutely awesome. Are you looking for something different this Thanksgiving, like great food and entertainment? Want to visit the Smoky Mountains? You can do all of these things with the Tennessee Stud. His next dinner with the Stud is the night before Thanksgiving, Wednesday, November 24th, 7 to 9 p.m. Start your Thanksgiving celebration at the famous Calhoun's on the River Restaurant in Knoxville, Tennessee. Free buffet barbecue dinner. Two free 8x10 photos of Ron Fuller and his guest. Great door prizes. A one-hour live stud cast, plus a one-hour question and answer session with the fans. All of this for only $30. Two photos alone is a $30 value. Reserve your seat now for an unforgettable evening at tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store and have dinner with the stud. And have a happy Thanksgiving. All right, everybody, welcome back once again. David Summers with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee as we continue with another incredible stud cast. The personality profile is just ahead. And let's mention uh, about the success last Wednesday night in Knoxville at Calhoun's on the river and stud you guys just had a fantastic time and it was all live on youtube and it's still there on youtube if, if anybody missed it yeah yeah you can go to it and see it on youtube and there's also the second part of it on there now on youtube uh, you can go and see the question and answer show just make sure you don't uh, tune out when they start doing giving away the door prizes i think that's pretty interesting part of it anyway uh, and then once that's over you get into the question and answers and Wow, it's a it's a great little that's another great hour on uh, on Southeastern Rewind, man, for fans that uh, that didn't get a chance to be there. Cool deal, and you had a lot of folks there, and so it, it really is as we talked about at the beginning of of the show. It's kind of like a wrestling talk show that's live right there in person, right in front of your very eyes. And again, you can see both the studcast and the follow through question and answer session, and they're both on the Southeastern Rewind channel on YouTube, so do check it out. All right, back into the studcast we go with the Tennessee stud. And so how did this personality profile go down, Ron? Well, you know, it was a different one. I mean, obviously, I'm there live. Uh, Harley's in Hawaii at this point. Uh, Lucky for him, I guess, you know, part of the perks of being a world champion. Uh, But... uh, you know, I get to start it, uh, and we're going to run Harley's interview second, and my 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 part of it is going to go first, and uh, and you know, and I I basically kind of talked about my history of of wrestling against Harley Race. Uh, uh, Harley Race was a tremendous opponent, and uh, and I had wrestled him at this point in my life three times. I wrestled him first in Miami in 1973, where I used to play basketball. Actually, about uh, three years after stopped playing basketball, I'm wrestling the world champion uh, in uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, I wrestled him in St. Louis, Missouri, which is close to Harley's home up there in uh, Sam Muchnick territory uh, in 1974. And I wrestled him, obviously, the preceding April in 1977 in the Coliseum in a 60-minute time limit draw. 
before the largest crowd to ever see a sports event in the Coliseum. And, uh, and uh, that record still stands today. 44 years later, it's still the record. So, uh, you know, I had had three shots at him. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I talked to Les pretty, uh, pretty uh, just uh, just laid it on the line, you know, that uh, I was ready for it. That uh, to prove it, I had beaten Terry Funk three times in 1977 <laughs> already. <laughs> He's the former champion, right? He's not just another wrestler. He had that belt, you know, and I beat him three times, all three times that I'd wrestled him in 1977. I told Les I felt like it was my destiny to be the world champion. And uh, what better place for me to win it, man, than in Knoxville, Tennessee, man, the home of the Tennessee stud. Yep. So, you know, and it was alive, and the studio got into it. They certainly liked that part of it. And, uh, and then uh, Les cut away to the interview from Hawaii. And Harley Race is standing on Waikiki. <laughs> he's, 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 he's enjoying himself, man. And, you know, and he, he, he made a very forthcoming, uh, different type of interview from Harley, who really never put his opponent over. Hmm. Uh, he really went the opposite direction with this interview. And he said something about considering me one of the top ten opponents in the world. Uh, especially since we'd had that one-hour draw six months earlier mm-hmm. in the Coliseum in front of that huge crowd. And he said about that huge crowd, he said uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't believe the noise that that crowd made. And, uh, and the noise that it had made kind of concerned him, you know. He, you know, he, 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 was, he, was, he was making a different type of interview here, uh, you know, and he said uh, – you know, that I was young, you know, and he says, you know, Von Fuller's in great shape and uh, and he's less than 30 years old. And he, and he says he comes from one of the best wrestling families in the world, <laughs> you know, and, and he said that, uh, that he said that I know who he wrestled last week. I know he was in one of the biggest tournaments in the history of wrestling, one of the biggest I ever heard of. <laughs> and uh, and I know he had to beat some top guys to get the shot at me. And, uh, you know, and he even knew the guys. He had to beat the Mongolian Stomper. He beat the world-famous Assassin. And then he beat Terry Funk, you know. <laughs> so, he, you know, he, he was really, really putting me over, you know. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, he, you know, and then he, he even got into my family, you know, and he said something about it. You know, he said, I started my wrestling career for Ron Fuller's grandfather, Roy Welch, in the state of Tennessee. He goes, uh, I learned a lot of wrestling in Tennessee. Oh, my God. Wow. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he got down to the end of it. He didn't make all these accolades and all these great statements. And then he ended it by saying, but nonetheless, (laughs) (laughs) none of it is going to change the fact. Here it comes. Here it comes. That I'm still the baddest man on God's green earth. That is, uh, listen, I can see that. And tell, listen, you may not have an answer to this, but how does Harley end up in Hawaii on Waikiki and he's got a camera crew that documents this interview and, and then bicycles it back. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that's a long way to send an interview from. You know, yeah, and obviously, yeah. he shot this interview days before. Uh, he might have done the interview on a Monday. I don't know what day of the week it was when he was there. We're on a Saturday. 
my guess is he was there on a, maybe a weekend, a Saturday, Sunday. You, when you worked Hawaii, which I worked in Hawaii, mm -hmm. you worked uh, Honolulu and you worked uh, Kona. You worked some small island, uh, you know, a smaller city on another island. Yeah. yeah. You usually had about two shots. So he might have worked on the weekend. He probably got them to send the, fan, the film crew with him. He probably was going to go to the beach anyway. Yeah. And he's right there. He's got the film crew. And he lays that down. And then they ship it. Now, you know, uh, it ain't FedEx days. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it took a few days, no doubt, from uh, Honolulu to Knoxville, you know. Uh, but but it made it there. Yeah, you know the reporter thing was it made it there, and you know, uh, uh, it, it was a, it was a really great interview. Gosh, the, it was priceless to yeah, me and, as a promoter, and to promoters all over the world, it was priceless to to get those interviews from the world champion before he wrestles one of your hot wrestlers. Oh my God, one and, of your major markets. Yeah, and two, he just legitimized this thing in a big way with a with a simple gesture. While he was probably uh, taking a little bit of vacation time and doing a little bit of work, but that that little bit from Hawaii, I mean, <laughs> said uh, he was the baddest man on God's green earth, yeah, talking yeah. to you from the fiftieth state. So and sending it back to Knoxville, that yeah, that that definitely uh, upped the ante for this whole thing. Impact, it yeah, had tremendous impact. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so at that point, you know. After that, and you see where he is, and he tells you I'm on Waikiki, and, uh, you know, and what else could be said? I mean, it wasn't a real long profile, but, gosh, it had impact. It was, it was, it was exactly what needed to be done. Uh, so we finished it. We went right third match, uh, and, and that was with the ever-improving Ricky Gibson, who was a great wrestler. I'm sure you've seen him a lot of times. Uh, and his brother, Robert Gibson, for fans that don't know it, his brother Robert Gibson is a part of the rock and roll. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. You know, he 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 comes from a good genealogy for sure for wrestling and yeah. in just a single match, man. Uh, but uh, but as I said earlier, things were going to change dramatically in the next four days after this TV. It's not going to be just a singles match. Uh, so in fact, uh, Gorgeous George Jr. bragged about it. Uh, Gibson got himself a quick win. We went to. Uh, uh, the uh, interview and gorgeous George Jr. bragged in the interview that the Stomper had a championship match against me that night in Harlan, Kentucky. Great little city for wrestling, man. Uh, they're going to have more than 3,000 people in a city that has a 3,000 population in their gym. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be sold out. And, uh, and in uh, that night, uh, you know, and, and in his interview, Gorgeous George Jr., he mentions that he's, you know, my stomper has a chance to win the Southeastern belt. He may not get the shot at the title, but to win the belt back. And he didn't even mention Ricky Gibson in his interview. He was so tuned in to Stomper getting his belt back. So Gigi made that statement come true that night in Harlem. You know, and him and Stomper, between the two of them, they kind of stole the belt from him. But three days later, they were wrestling. Uh, he was wrestling uh, Ricky Gibson in Johnson City, Tennessee. And I think I mentioned earlier, Gigi got to bragging to the fans. And he just said, let's just make this a championship match. Because he thought that Gibson had no chance against the Stomper. And Gibson almost <laughs> beat the Stomper. 
So uh, mm -hmm. all of the things are changing here. So the bottom line was the Mongolian Stomper and Ricky Gibson uh, were going to be in a much more important match the next Friday night than just the regular match they, they were talking about on TV. And uh, I luckily had the time to have the newspaper ad changed, and I changed that match on the, in the newspaper and on the card. Uh, so the final TV segment was big in this show. Uh, Bob Armstrong, and he, he was on there. Uh, he began with Les at the desk. He was taped up, man, like he'd been in the car wreck the night before. And uh, he joined Les to watch a really powerful match from the night before, uh, this NWA non-sanctioned lights-out match between him and uh, Don Carson. And, uh, you know, and then in this video, it's going to show uh, Bob has got Carson just beat. Uh, he's on his back. Uh, he's got his black glove partially off of his hand. He's just stomping him to pieces. And uh, the assassin shows up from out of nowhere and uh, gets into the ring. Bob never sees him. Uh, had, assassin loads up his, his uh, mask, and, and then he hits butts Bob in the back of the head. And he does something I'd never seen him do before. He headbutted him, and Bob went to, started to collapse. And he grabbed him underneath the arms and turned him around and grabbed his head and headbutted him in the forehead. Ooh. I mean, he intended for Bob not to get up. Hmm. And the video showed Bob Armstrong's then right there. Boom, that's – and Bob didn't get up. It showed Bob Armstrong's first loss ever in an NWA non-sanctioned lights-out match. Wow. That's what Bob said. Yeah. This is the first one of those I ever lost. Wow. And he goes, obviously, he had a good reason to lose it. He was wrestling two guys, basically. So fans got to watching it, and they got extremely upset by the video, too. And, uh, and they got even more upset then when the next guy came to the ring to wrestle because it was Don Carson. <laughs> And, uh, and Don was all taped up, too, man. It had been a nasty match that they had had. You know, so Don <laughs> ended up loading his glove and taking care of a of a and uh, en some enhancement talent, like we'll call it, on that <laughs> TV show. And, and, uh, and then he went on, uh, you know, to the set. Bob stayed at the set, and, uh, and Carson went into Studio B. Mm. So Armstrong, Armstrong spent most of this interview focused on the assassin who, as he said in the interview, had no business being in the ring. And, uh, and he was definitely the reason that Carson won the match. There was no doubt about that. You know, he got, he'd been headbutted by, twice by a guy that wasn't in the match, you know? So then the less pointed out to Bob, you know, he said, you know, Bob, the NWA, NWA non-section match, they're, they're probably the most violent and unpredictable uh, and the very fact that, that there's no rules is the reason for that, you know. And, you know, he says to Bob, basically, you know, it's dangerous. You know, you're, this is a dangerous deal, you know. And Bob said, you know, uh, he realized it, you know. And, uh, and he says, I know that uh, if I lose this, I'm gone from Southeastern. But he goes, hmm. I've looked at the card. And he goes, guess who isn't on that card? Hmm. And Les says, uh, I don't know. And he says, the assassin. Ah. You know? So, you know, he he, he, says, he figures he's covering his base, okay? So so then uh, Carson's part of the interview. He bragged about uh, he didn't need any help from anybody. 
much less the assassin. He said, I don't even like him. You know, I don't, I don't know why he did that, you know. Uh, but he says, uh, I don't need any help from anybody to beat Bob Armstrong. And he says, next Friday night, he calls himself the jawjacker, but he says, I'm going to be doing the jawjacking. And Bob Armstrong's going to be history for one year hmm. here in Southeastern Wrestling. Hmm. So six days later, Southeastern going to have another big crowd. <laughs> Boy, I mean, it sure does sound like it. But who am I? I'm just enhancement talent Dave Summers. <laughs> All right, so you got TV, a TV full of stars, a humiliation for a world champion, a new tag team, Harley Race full of compliments, and an upcoming showdown with one more star leaving Southeastern. So what does happen on October 7th, 1977? Bring it to life, stud. All right, man. Uh, well, this one, this one is good. Wow. Man, what a night. Uh, the pro, Doug Gilbert, I mean, he, he gets him a win over Butch Malone in the first match. Uh, Rob and uh, Jim Dalton have a really good match, and they, they the crowd starts. It's one of those nights that the crowd's got to start slow, and they're going to slowly build and uh, because the night is going to slowly build. Then the Southeastern Championship match with the belt held up, no DQ, and there had to be a winner, the Mongolian Stomper. He he regained, you know, uh, and he re got his belt back. Uh, he, he had had it. I beat him. He got it back from me. He almost lost it to Gibson, and he got it back again. So he and Gigi, I assume, are fairly happy after this event is over. A Mongolian Stomper gets his victory over Ricky Gibson. Then the next match is a Southeastern tag match. Fans got absolutely crazy for this one, man. Jola Duke and Roy Lee Welch. Uh, were, wow, they were just a, an awesome team. It looked like they had been together for years. I think they had spent a lot of time, which wrestlers never did, basically, uh, down in somebody's ring uh, making themselves a great team because it just didn't happen by accident. So they're on the verge of winning this match, man, at the end of it. Crowd's going crazy, and Joel Duke has got the bear hug on Mr. Knoxville. Roy Lee Welch has got the abdominal stretch on Bob Orton Jr. And Al Costello just slowly comes up on the apron and uh, crawls into the ring, stands there in the corner. Well, what's the referee going to do but disqualify him? You know, he's got no business being in there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> the referee rings the bell. He disqualifies them, but it keeps LeDuc and Roy Lee from winning the belts. <laughs> you know, they win. They got their hands raised, right. but they didn't get the belts. So yeah. this is going to play out over some time here, man, This, 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 these four guys. So World Junior Heavyweight Championship match was next. Uh, wow, Dave, this one, Tony did everything but just win this match outright. He dominated Nelson Roy most of the 60-minute time limit match. And in the last five minutes, now they're, they're at 55 minutes. In the last five minutes, I watched the match. I bet you Tony Charles did 10 of these throws, phenomenal throws. Again, some I had never seen. And Royal kicked out of every one of them. Uh, it was like Royal wouldn't – he was not going to say that. And uh, the announcer starts announcing the time limit. Usually, if you've got a 60-minute match, the announcer says uh, 55 minutes gone, uh, one, five minutes remaining, 
four minutes remaining, three minutes. Mm-hmm. The announcer starts counting down the time in the last five minutes. So with about one minute left in the match, Tony done everything in this five minute period of time. Uh, he pancaked Nelson Royal. He put a leg out in front of both his feet. He grabbed the back of his neck and he slammed him face first in the mat. Whoa. And when he did, he smoothly, man, slipped right into that same torture rack that he'd done to him on TV six hmm. days earlier. Hmm. I mean, and the crowd exploded. They saw it coming and they just popped. So, and I never saw a wrestler more determined than Nelson Royal was at this point, man, not to give up. Wow. And he was in one of the most painful holes in history. You can't be in a worse hole than this hole. And uh, Nelson Royal, uh, you could, you could, I, you could, uh, I could see the agony in his body. He was contorted. He was, he was just trying his best not to give up. And they announced 30 seconds remaining. He's still in that hole. 10 seconds remaining. He's still in that hole. And the referee can't raise his hands because mm. Tony is holding both of his hands. So it looked like to me with 10 seconds left in the match, his body collapsed. I thought he passed out. And, uh, you know, so uh, so then, uh, you know, the, the bell rang. Boom. Huh. You know? And uh, when the bell rang, Tony thought that it was over. And Tony released his whole man. He leaped up in the air, man. The crowd erupted. and uh, But the referee didn't leave Nelson. And when Nelson was laying there, the referee reached and got his hand. And he raised his hand off the mat. I don't even know if the crowd was noticing it. He raised his hand off the match. And when he let go of it, Nelson held his hand up. Uh-huh. Then it dropped on the mat. But right then. He rang the bell again, and he called it a time limit draw because Royal was still conscious. He still was able to fight. So it was one of the greatest matches I'd ever seen. It was just unbelievable. Wow. It was just phenomenal. And and the fans were so into it that they they came and got Tony off of the apron of the ring, and they put him on their shoulders, and they carried him. They, a big mob carried him back to the back curtain, man. I mean, it, it looked like he had won. <laughs> they were celebrating yeah. like he would, had won. It wow. was a phenomenal match, a phenomenal match. Hmm. So my match with Harley, it had everything in it, basically. It had a lot of wrestlings in the early part of it. Uh, and toward the end of it, it was it was uh, definitely a uh, Harley's type of deal. It was all a brawl at the end. And the crowd was so into it at the end of the match that uh, you couldn't hear the referee. Even if he was right in your face, if he if his face was was uh, six inches from your face and he was screaming as loud as he could, you couldn't hear what he was saying. It, it was that loud in the building. And, you know, and I'd gone for my leg lock uh, mm-hmm. several times, many times in the early part of the match. And each time I did, the building would stand up, man. There'd be a big roar. You know, they they knew if I got it, it was done. Mm-hmm. You know, and Harley was a tremendous defensive wrestler. And, and, uh, and, and he was a smart wrestler, too. He realized that if I ever got that hold, his reign as world champion was done. <laughs> so... And, you know, and, that, and it was that effective. I mean, nobody yeah. ever broke yeah. it. Nobody got out of it. You couldn't get out of it. So finally, at about the 45-minute mark, you know, uh, after focusing 
off and on for the last 30 minutes on working his right leg. I just kept working his right leg, trying to get the hold, trying to get the hold. Uh, he would get out of the ring. He would limp off into the crowd. He was starting to kill time because I was really getting him. Uh, so then about uh, the 45-minute mark, he sent me into the ropes, and he bent over. He was just going to give me a simple backdrop. And uh, I tried everything to get the toehold that night. But uh, suddenly, there he was. He was bent over. and He was in the perfect position for me. So I just leaped over him. And, uh, you know, and I spun around, man. I shot my right leg between his legs. I, I hooked a grapevine. I reached down there, grabbed his ankle. I rolled him backwards. And by God, I had the fuller leg lock on Harley Race with 15 minutes left in the match. And, uh, you know, it was so fast. It not only caught him off guard, it caught the thousands of people in the stands off guard. And once they realized that I had it, they exploded. It was like, wow, he's got it. They'd never seen me get it that way. Wow. I had never done it that way. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and I don't think Harley was prepared for it to happen that way either. So when I rolled him, which I always did as part of the hole, once you got the ankle, I rolled forward and it took him backwards. It, it put him fairly close to the ropes. Uh, but I thought he was still going to be far enough away. We're both on our back. You can't hardly drag yourself <laughs> when two guys are laying on their backs. Right. And you, you can't, and your arms don't work that way. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but he ended up closer to the ropes than I thought. Uh. So I'm laying on my back. And uh, when I got this hold on people, I can't look up and see where he's at because I can't see over my legs and his legs. And, you know, I'm in a very awkward position to see exactly where he is. Yeah. But he's fighting. He's fighting it. And he's trying to drag himself to get to the rope. And all I knew, man, at this point is I had my hold, man. And I was just yanking on that right leg, man, as hard and as often as possible. All I was thinking about was the 10 pounds of gold, man. And, uh, and he was much closer to the ropes than I thought. And I finally managed to, to get back to where uh, he finally drug himself back to where he could reach the bottom rope. But I didn't know it. I couldn't see him holding the bottom rope. Mm -hmm. And the referee was right there constantly in his face before he got to the bottom rope, asking him if he gave up, you know. And, man, he was just like uh, Nelson Royal. He was not about to give up, man. And uh, he was, uh, you know, so uh, so then uh, the roar of the crowd was so loud, I couldn't hear anything, man. So he got back to where he could get one hand on the rope. That's all he needed yeah. to get a break. But I can't see it. I don't know. The crowd's so loud, I can't hear the referee. The referee's in his face, you know. Uh, he's in, asking him if he breaks it. Once he sees him touch the rope, he comes to my face and he starts screaming to me to break. And I think that uh, that Harley's giving up. I think he's 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 giving it up. But I'm not going to take a chance. So I just kept cranking that leg, and he started counting the referee. And uh, he counted. I closed my eyes uh, when he came the first time, and uh, you know said. Uh, you know, said that, uh, you know, that you got to let him go. You got to let him go. I closed my eyes. Oh. He started counting. I didn't even recognize and realize that the referee's counting. And uh, so then uh, he was about to break out. You know, Harley was uh, 
had made it to the ropes. He began to count over top of me. I didn't see it because my eyes were closed. All I could think of was if you keep this hold and you keep cranking that pain to him, mm -hmm. he's going to give up. My mm -hmm. senses. I got to tell you, man, like it happens in every one of these long, grueling matches, your senses get dull because you expend so much energy during the match. Uh, you've run out of air and you, and the and just the sheer elation with the fact that I got my toehold on the world champion and I'm going to beat him right here. So the referee continued to count, my eyes still closed, and I continued to crank the hole, man. And Harley continued to scream. I could hear him screaming above the crowd. And the referee told me later that Harley was in such pain that he was begging begging for the for the referee to, to make me break the hole, wow. you know, begging for it. Yep. Well, I finally opened my eyes, man, uh, and I'm still jerking on Harley's leg. And uh, just in time to see the referee standing over me, over top of me. And he swings his heart, his arm, and he must have screamed five, but I couldn't hear. You, mm -hmm. No way I could hear what number he was on. Yeah. I'd not seen him count any of those. And then the ref signaled to the timekeeper to ring the bell. I thought I won the world championship. I got up, man. I was going crazy. I got to my feet. I raised my hand. Uh, the crowd would. The crowd was already roaring. And Jesus, when that happened, they were just like me. They thought I would won, and uh, and uh, they just started. They they just took all that roaring to a different level. It was pandemonium in there. I was jumping all over the ring and going crazy. Uh, and the referee went and got the belt. Hmm. And uh, and I, uh, I went I went toward him because I thought it was mine. And instead, he walked right past me and he went to Harley, who was still laying by the ropes and holding his right leg. So basically, I went instantly from being the new world champion to being the world chump. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been disqualified for not breaking a hole that should have made me world champion. You know, the ref raised Harley's hand, man. I fell down on my knees. That crowd went silent. Like, oh, my God. Wow. What happened? You know? Yeah. And yeah. then the announcer told everyone that I had failed to release the hole when the champion was in the ropes. I'd been counted out and was disqualified. And I don't think I need to describe what the crowd did at that point, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's unbelievable i'm I'm surprised there wasn't a riot so what what did you do at that point well man you know i, I was kind of stunned man I, and 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 i did the only thing a decent wrestler could do man i'd made the biggest mistake of my wrestling career all i could do was take it like a man so you know i, I hung my head i left the ring and, uh, and I was met there at the apron by a mob of fans, man. And they had already accepted what I couldn't accept. <laughs> they had already, you know, and they yeah. were just patting me and congratulating me for a fantastic match. Uh, and they, I think they tried their best to make me feel better about what had just happened to me, man. They, they followed me, a mob of them, to the black curtain back there. And uh, so, uh, well, uh, yeah, I, and and to me, you're of course you're you're the hometown baby face, but the I guess the real question, and I'm not surprised by that, that their reaction. But so, what did Harley Race do? 
Well, I tell you what, he, he did nothing, basically. He had to be carried from the ring on a stretcher. Whoa. Uh -huh. And he, he was holding his right leg the entire way. Uh, I looked back to see just what was going on, and uh, all I could see was him with his hand over his right leg, mm -hmm. his knee area, and, uh, and his belt was laid across his body. Wow. Everybody in the building was booing him, man, at the top of their lungs, man. They, they carried him out to, uh, wow, the loudest booze I ever heard. <laughs> Holy cow. What a night so far. I mean, but still it wasn't over that, that was not the main event. So how did it end with Bob Armstrong and Don Carson, the NWA non-sanctioned lights out loser leaves Southeastern match? That was the last event of the night, right? Had to be. Yes. I mean, it's a non-sanctioned lights-out match. Uh, yeah. It has to go on last. They yeah. have to darken the building. They have to raise the house lights. They have to announce that it is not sanctioned by the NWA. There's a, there's a, there's a sequence that has to happen for these NWA lights-out matches. So it had to be the last match of the night. So, uh, and Bob Armstrong, wow, when they rang that bell, uh, he was like a man possessed. Uh, he never let Don Carson have anything during the match. Uh, there, there was no wrestling, not one wrestling move involved. Uh, Bob started jacking jaws from the very bell, and wow, he never quit. You know, and it wasn't quite as bloody as the week before, because this time, Bob didn't bleed. But boy, poor old Don Carson bled, man. Wow. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, Bob set that crowd on fire, man. Uh, you know, and he was he was taking it to, to uh, Don like he was almost angry about what had happened to me in the match right before he is. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And he did something in that match that uh, had only been done one time before to Carson in his entire career. He took Don Carson's glove off and he used it against him. <laughs> and I had done that in the summer of 1976, the mm -hmm. only person to ever take Carson's glove off and use it on him. And, uh, and that's what uh, Bob did. So not only did he start out like a house of fire, he finally got his glove, he loaded it up, he destroyed Don Carson to the point that Carson was bloody, uh, just a bloody mess and just laying there. And uh, I think Bob uh, could have pinned him 10 times, but uh, he he wanted to just, uh, he wanted to just bury him, man. So uh, while Bob's so totally focused on, on, on destroying him, uh, this big dude, this big guy in the first row of ringside, he jumps out of his seat and he runs up to the ring. He crawls up on the apron. He reached down in his pocket and he pulled out a raskin mask <laughs> and he put it on his head. Uh -oh. And then everybody in the building realized who he was. Are you kidding? <laughs> He'd been sitting on the front row. Nobody knows what the assassin looked like. Nobody ever pulled his mask off. Right. He sat there all night. Uh, he wasn't booked on that card just to make sure for this moment, if it happened. And uh, so he, he put, put that mask on, he stepped in the ring, he reached in the other pocket, he put his, his loaded whatever he puts in his mask, and, uh, and then he, uh, just like the week before, Bob's got his back to him, just like the week before, uh, just finishing off 
Don Carson, and he comes and uh, you know he caught Bob. Man, uh, he did. He found the back of Bob Armstrong's head again with a big headbutt, man. <laughs> and then he caught him under the arms, spun him around, headbutted him in the forehead again. He dropped him down, man, like a bad habit. He pulled Don Carson's glove off of Bob's hand, and he placed Carson on top of Bob. <laughs> because it was an NWA, non-sanctioned match with no rules, uh, he stood there and forced the referee to count Bob out, to count out one of the greatest stars in Southeastern history. He basically sent Armstrong packing. Wow. Holy cow. Okay, so how did he and Don Carson get out of there alive? <laughs> well, uh, I tell you, the, this is pretty strange too, man. Uh, well, they got obviously they needed a brigade of policemen, you know, and uh, and luckily the policemen were really good there, and uh, they realized, you know, that this is this is this is going to be horrible. We got to do something, so they came to the ring, and uh, and they got there pretty quickly, and uh, and then luckily. Uh, nobody knew this until this night in the Coliseum, there was a quick way for heels to get back to their dressing room without having to go to the back of the building and get to that black curtain. Okay. So about a hundred feet from the ring, when you got out on the side of the building where the heels dressing room was right behind one section of the ringside, it was a small section of the ringside because it was on the side of the building there was a side door entrance in directly into the Hills dressing room and Carson and Carson and the assassin, they knew it and they headed that way. And the police unaware of the room, they followed them. They had to <laughs> escort them. So they followed them. I don't think other than that, there would have been any way that they'd ever made it to the back of that building. <laughs> no, uh, no, I can't see it. That's an absolutely incredible night, Ron. So you had to have a huge crowd there. What was it like? Well, you know, I kind of want to give everybody a closer look than just the attendance on this one. You know, the attendance was uh, 6,100. Now, that was 200 short of that uh, record crowd in April, which was 6,300, okay, of that same year. That was the Coliseum's number, you know. I still think it was more than that, but – uh the Coliseum, again, that was their number, 6,100. And uh, because we didn't have a fire marshal on that record-setting night uh, in April back in, in the Coliseum, uh, the city made sure this time we had a fire marshal. There was one there this time. So the matches started about 15 minutes late because uh, we held up because of the size of the crowd that was still in the lobby trying to buy tickets. And then tickets were cut off before 9 o'clock. So managers of the building, uh, I asked them later how many they think got turned away. They thought somewhere between two and 3,000 got turned away that couldn't get a ticket. Uh, and uh, on this event, there was a price increase because it was a world title night. Uh -uh. So, so the first three rows of ringside was that golden circle that I had started doing uh, way back, uh, the two championship matches earlier. And, uh, you know, I charged $10 for the first three rows of ringside. Huh. The remaining 1,600 ringside seats, Dave, so there was about 2,000 total ringside seats. Wow. 1,600 of those seats were $8. Right. Each. The first balcony uh, had 1,000 seats, a little over 1,000 seats. They were $7 each. 
The general mission seats were $5 for an adult and $3 for a child. Hmm. The gross house was almost $38,000, close to $38,000. And uh, that would be, in today's money, uh, over $171,000 in 1977. Well, you should have kept it. <laughs> Boy, yeah. I tell you, yeah. that stuff gets away from you real quick. That yeah. money stuff. It know? has a tendency. Yes, it uh, does. But uh, <laughs> wow, it, it was a it was a phenomenal <laughs> evening. In uh, more ways than just one. That's incredible. And the, and really, the ten dollars for that golden circle. It, it doesn't sound like that big a deal for two championship matches. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and you got to think too. You know now, but you got to think. Uh, the, the 38000 is uh, four times. That would have been $40 a ticket. Yeah, nowadays, yeah. The, the equal yeah. to $40 a ticket, yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, and, well, yeah, but, uh, and, and, you know, the crazy thing about it is the first three rows were the first tickets sold, and they're all gone. Oh, first. wow, yeah. This has been a fascinating stud cast, Ron. It looks like we may have to save today's learning tree question for next week on Facebook, folks, to become friends with the stud, go to Ron Fuller, Tennessee stud page or the author Ron Fuller Welch page. Simply follow him on either of those pages and you become friends with a legend on Twitter. It's Ron Fuller Welch and you can follow him there also. And go to Ron's website, tnstud.com. Find everything related to the stud, all stud cast, all super stud cast. The Stud Store with all kinds of souvenirs and Dinner with the Stud tickets as well. His fantastic Brutus novel, even autographed, and more at tnstud.com. And don't forget to subscribe now if you haven't already to Ron's new home, Southeastern Rewind, on YouTube. Ring that bell and get the best in old school wrestling. We'll ring your bell every time something new is added. Okay, so where do we ride next week, Stud? Well, obviously, things are beginning to change in Southeastern. Uh, you have these big events. Uh, you've prepared for them. Uh, you've got guys leaving, uh, you, guys coming, uh, new talents arriving, great stars like Bob Armstrong are leaving. Uh, we're going to get into all that in the next studcast. And as I remember from earlier in the show today, uh, that learning tree question that we're not getting to today is, is going to take us in the direction of finding out what's coming up. So, you know, we're going to really get into that next week. We're going to continue on into the fall of 1977. Uh, we've got the great Thunderbolt Patterson, one of the great black wrestlers of all time. Wow. Uh, makes his debut in Southeastern. The Irish sensation from a few weeks back uh, from the tournament, Pat Barrett, uh, is going to return and uh, much more. So, I, you know, th I want to thank everybody again for your support. Uh, without you, obviously, there'd be no Studcast, no Super Studcast, no Southeastern Rewind or YouTube channel. Uh, I, I do this. I basically do this for fans because you've been so good to me, man. So uh, all of you, please take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One.
This is David Summers, saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.